Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Hey, are you guys ready for the word this morning? All right, all right, you'll get there. Let's go. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to go to chapter 3. And we've been in a series that we've simply called um, Free Reign. And I get that that is a bit of a horseman's term. Um, but really what we're talking about is the idea that when we allow the Lord to truly reign and call the shots in our life, that that's actually the most freeing place we could ever live that allowing Jesus to be the Lord, to allow him to put his hands on our schedule, our decisions, our lives, is actually the most freeing place that we could ever live our lives. And we've been launching with this passage, and I wanna start here this morning. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, If you're taking notes in church today, which I highly encourage you to take notes. I I don't really have any Bible to back this up, but I believe note takers get bigger houses in heaven. I just do, okay? (laughs) Part of it's just because I'm a church kid and I'm hoping I get something for all these notes I've been taking over the last 26 years, okay? But I believe you should be taking notes. And if you are taking notes, I want you to title this message. Are you ready for my title? My title is this, Assumptions are assassins. Assumptions are assassins. And I believe that over the next couple moments, God's going to allow that to to help us make some sense this morning. Can we pray real quick? I'm just a big believer that you can't talk to God too much. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, right now for the moments that we are going to share in your presence. Lord, I thank you that this is more than just a talk. This is more than just a couple points. Lord, this is more than just an hour of our time. Lord, I thank you that you would just allow time to almost stand still for a second. And Lord, that you'd begin to meet with us. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna speak exactly what needs to be said. Lord, I pray that you'd somehow use my words to be tailor-made for exactly what these people need to hear. Lord, the specificities of their life. I pray that you'd speak to them today. Lord, I pray that you'd put me on like a glove and go to work. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. Amen. 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 Have, you, um, have you ever had somebody make an assumption about you and they were drastically off? Have you ever had, had that happen? Okay. Maybe it's just me. I'm a pastor's kid. Okay. And uh, along with being a pastor's kid comes various assumptions of the people who attend your parents' church, right? So I've dealt with many assumptions throughout my life, but I remember one moment, somebody made an assumption about me and it nearly cost me my life. It nearly cost me my life. Um, If you don't know much about me, I've been on staff here at Celebration Church for the last six years. Last six years, uh, I've been on staff here and I've been serving in this house for almost 13 years. That's literally how old we are. We're almost 13 years old. Can you believe that? Um, Come on, it's awesome. But um, I've been serving on staff here for six years. And when I got hired on staff, they started me. I'm a pastor now, but they started me as the pastor in training, which the acronym of that is PIT, okay? I started in the PIT, all right? So I was the pastor in training, but I was also the janitor, all right? And so I was the pastor in training slash janitor, but I preferred the term butler, all right? Butler of the ministry, Uh, but they didn't like that. So it was janitor. So I remember I was 20 years old, 
And my job was to make sure the house of the Lord was spick and span, all right? So um, I'm, I'm in charge of cleaning the, the entire building. And so a lot of my Saturdays comprised of coming up here at some point in the day and making sure everything was dealt with because I'm here to tell you um, there are things that need to be dealt with. People deal with more than sin here at the church, I'll tell you that, and somebody's got to plunge it, all right? So that was my job. That was my job, okay? The toilets need ministering too. They go through a lot of crap, all right? So, so I... So I'm sitting there, you know, my Saturdays are me going over, going over the building. And I remember it was around that time, traveling and speaking engagements. And at, at 20, I was asked to do a local like youth retreat, right? And so they, had, they asked me to come and preach at it. And so that Saturday night, I had to preach. But during the Saturday day, I had to make sure the church was clean. So I came up here and I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm thinking about my notes. I'm thinking about the sermon I'm gonna preach and I'm cleaning the church, right? But I'm going so fast, right? I'm cleaning, I'm throwing trashes out, I'm wiping things down, I'm plunging the sin, okay? Like I'm doing everything that I can. And all of a sudden I finally hit a point and I'm like, yo, that's good enough, all right? And I leave, I go to get ready for, to speak that night. I preach that night, few kids got saved, praise the Lord. And then I'm, I'm hanging out after the little speaking engagement and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, Mike Hernandez, the lieutenant of the SAPD starts calling me. So I pull my phone out. I'm like, it's one thing when you gotta call the cops. It's a whole nother thing when the cops start calling you, right? <laughs> whole nother thing. So all of a sudden, Mike's calling me. So I, I, I pull out my phone and I swipe right and I'm like, um, hello? And he's like, Keenan. I'm on my way in from Dallas. I just got word from the SAPD that somehow, someway, a door got left open at the church, okay? I need you to meet the police over there and walk them through our building and make sure nobody has stolen anything and also make sure no one has turned our church into their new mansion, okay? I need you to meet them over there. Fly like the wind, okay? So I'm like, okay, okay? And immediately I hang up and I realize like, I'm the culprit, right? Like, I'm the dude that left the door open. So I tell the guys I'm hanging out with at the retreat, I'm like, you'll have to excuse me. I gotta go handle some official church business, right? And so I jump, I jump in my car, I blaze over here. I mean, I figured I, I was on, I'm on police orders, so they can't pull me over, right? And so I blaze over here, I get into the parking lot, and to my shock and surprise, the parking lot is empty. Like I'm expecting, I'm building this scenario in my head of sirens, of SWAT, you know, people repelling from the building. Like I'm building all this out and I walk in and there's, I walk up to the church and there's, there's nothing. So I'm like, oh, this is a bummer. So I come up and I'm sitting there waiting on the police and finally I get a little cold, it's about January. So I unlock the church and I, I sta I'm standing inside and then this thought hit me and was like, maybe it's not the door. I think I left open. You know, classic male, you know, elastic effort for it to not be my fault, right? And so I'm like, I'm gonna go check and see if it's actually the door. I think I left open. So I begin to mosey on through our building. Now I have to tell you, if you want your prayer life to go to a whole nother level, start walking around a church at night, all right? <laughs> and it ain't because it's so holy. It's <laughs> creepy, all right? It is creepy. It feels good right now. Hank, come, come, come here in 12 hours, okay? It is Creepy, all right? So I'm sitting here walking through the building. You know, I'm already, I'm already worried. And then I round this corner back here and I begin to hear voices. I begin to hear voices and I can't make out what they're saying. Now I'm already creeped out. And now I'm hearing 
like these, these chatters, these mutters, these chants, okay? I'm like, what is this? I'd always wondered where demons go when we cast them out. I'm like, I guess they stick around, you know what I mean? Like, what is this? So I begin to walk and I'm hearing these mutterings and then all of a sudden I walk a little further this way and I realize it's the police. The police are on the outside of the door that I'd left open. They didn't come to the front of the building. They had gone to the side of the building over here. And all of a sudden, a huge like a wave of relief, right, comes over me. And I begin to walk up and approach this door. But here's the problem. I don't say a word, okay? And all of a sudden, I hear one of the officers go on his radio. He said this, dispatch, the lights just came on, okay? And I'm like, oh, great. He knows I'm here, you know? <laughs> like, all's good. And so I approached this door. I don't say a word, okay? And you have to also understand what I was wearing. I was wearing a black beanie, a dark flannel shirt, and black ripped up jeans, okay? I don't look like a pastor, okay? I look like a person who doesn't possess a mailing address, okay? So I'm walking up. I'm walking up to this door, not looking like a person who would hold the key to this building. And I'm, I'm just silently approaching the door, not saying a word. And then all of a sudden I get to the edge of the door and I just start doing this around the corner. I start doing that. And all of a sudden I lock eyes with one of the officers. And as God is my witness, I'm not making this up. Before I know it, this officer has pulled his gun out and shoved it in my face. I'm not playing around. I wish I was making this story up, okay? It still gives me weird feelings when I think about it, okay? Before I know it, the other officer who was with him has pulled his gun out. He's gone over his commanding officer's shoulder and is pointing his gun at me too. And so I just do the universal sign of surrender. I just go, like that's one thing church taught me how to do was raise my hands, okay? So I throw my hands up. I'm getting ready to die for my faith, okay? Like I'm a pastor in training and they didn't train me how to die. They trained me how to live for Jesus, okay? So I'm sitting there staring at them and I just start smiling because I'm like, they're gonna recognize me, but evidently they didn't, okay? Because their guns weren't going away. So they're sitting there pointing their guns at me, okay? Their glocks at me and I'm sitting there and I'm just smiling at them. And finally something inside of me said, talk! Say something. And so I just go, I'm the guy, Officer Hernandez said, I'm the guy with the key. I'm supposed to be here, okay? And would you believe that as soon as I said that, all of a sudden their guns dropped, their countenance completely shifted. I even got a chuckle. And one of the officers got on his radio and said, oh, dispatch, it was just the guy with the key. It was just the guy with the key. You know, the reason I take this moment to tell you that story is because I don't want you to miss this right here. It wasn't who I really was that made them pull their guns. It was who they assumed I was. It was who they assumed I was that kept them from being able to see who I really was. And I'm here to tell you this morning, your assumptions about God, your assumption of who God is can keep you from experiencing who he actually is. Your assumptions about God can keep you from experiencing who God actually is. And I found that there are many of us, and I believe there are some of you in here today that you walked in with some assumptions about God. Many of us assume that God is distant, he's disinterested, 
He's displeased and disappointed and therefore would never want anything to do with the likes of you. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus showed up 2000 years ago so we would no longer have to live in that assumption, but that we could by faith step into an assurance that we don't serve a God who's distant, disinterested and displeased, but we serve a God who says, actually, there's no shadow I won't light up. There's no mountain I won't climb up. There's no wall I wouldn't kick down and there's no lie I wouldn't tear down in order to come after you come on it's the assumptions that we carry about God that can keep us from truly experiencing who God really is Jesus proved who God is so that you and I wouldn't have to assume who God is our assumptions listen to me what I'm trying to tell you is that the number one assassination attempt the enemy will take is he will plant assumptions in your mind about God He'll plant assumptions about his character. He'll begin to malign. He'll begin to blur the lines. He'll begin to distort what you believe about God. And you know, the truth is, I think that there's not an area about the Lord. There's not a facet of him that we don't have more misconceptions of. We don't have more assumptions about than we do about his lordship. I don't think there's an area we carry more false assumptions about the Lord than we do about the fact that he is the Lord. Because for many of us, can we just be honest? Many, for many of us, that word Lord is loaded. That word Lord is loaded. The last thing we would ever think would come along with being, having a Lord would be freedom. But that is exactly why I started today off with 2 Corinthians 3.17. Because 2 Corinthians 3.17 quite literally flies in the face of every assumption you and I carry about what it means to have a Lord. Second Corinthians 3, 17, if you've already forgotten, said this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom in having a Lord. That flies in the face of everything I've ever assumed about having a Lord. I thought having a Lord was limiting. And the reason, can I just share this? The reason we believe that, the reason that we think having a Lord means that we are limited is because we are now gun shy. We are now, we now have wounds from every other person we ever gave Lordship to. Every other person we ever gave Lordship to in our past used and abused it. And now because they did that, because we found out they had false motives, they weren't as good as we thought they were. They put their best foot forward and we found out that wasn't their only foot. Now we are gun shy to give lordship to the rightful Lord. But can I tell you right now, just because they had false motives does not mean the Lord does. Just because every other person you ever trusted, you ever gave power to had false motives does not mean your heavenly father has false motives. I'm here to tell you God's motives could not be more pure. His motivation to love you could not come from a more pure place. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Let's go to Galatians chapter five. We've been tracking through Galatians and I wanna jump into it today. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this. I'll prove it to you. It says this, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom. Why did Christ set us free? For freedom. That's what that means. It doesn't say it was for leverage that Christ set us free. It doesn't say it was so that you would owe him one that Christ sets you free. 
It doesn't say so that one day he could hold it over your head when you were acting stupid, Christ set you free. It, can I just say, it doesn't even say it was for worship that Christ set you free. His motivation had nothing to do with him and everything to do with you. It was for your freedom that Christ has set you free. It's because he wants you free. Can I tell you this morning, there are no cages in Christ. Christ did not free you from the cage of sin so that he could throw you into the cage of religion. No, he died so you would never have to live in a cage. He didn't stay in the cage of the tomb so that you could never have to stay in the cage of the tomb. Come on, there are no cages. It was for freedom. His motivation is what I'm trying to get you to see. It is 100% pure because listen to me, this is what I found. The reason many of us don't trust God's hand is because we don't know his heart. The reason we don't trust his hand is because we don't know his heart. God's heart could not be more pure. God's heart for you, everything he says, everything he does is motivated by you living your best life. It's always for you. And you know, if we're coming around this idea of what it means to have a Lord, I think we don't need to have assumptions as to what that word Lord means. Assumptions are assassins. And so if we're really going to dive into what it means to have a Lord, I think we need to understand biblically what it means to have a Lord. And I did the studying for you, so don't sweat, okay? But 2 Corinthians 3.17, that word Lord that we looked at, where the spirit of the Lord is, in the original language, which that text was written in Greek originally. And that Greek word that we translate Lord is the word kurios, kurios, okay? We translate a Lord. And what curios means, it actually has two definitions, two different definitions. And the problem is you and I are only familiar with one of them. That when we think about the word Lord, we only really define it by one of these definitions. But the problem is if we live on half a definition, we don't get the full picture. So the first definition for curios, which means Lord, is this, supreme in authority. That's what it means. Lord, curios, means supreme in authority, but guess what? It doesn't just mean that. And I think that is what most people think about when they think about the concept of having a Lord, supreme in authority. But listen to me, what paints the full picture of what it means to have a Lord is the second part, the, 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 the combination of the two. It doesn't just mean supreme in authority, but curios also means this, the one to whom I belong. The one to whom I belong. Can I tell you this morning, Celebration Church, you belong to God. I don't know if you recognize it this morning. I don't know if you can feel it in your bones today, but you belong to God. And listen to me, you didn't start belonging when you started behaving. You didn't start belonging even when you started believing. You belonged way before you were even in your mother's womb. The, the Bible says that before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you even wanted God, God wanted you. And when you recognize that when you didn't want to belong, God made space for you to belong, all of a sudden you begin to trust his supreme authority. When you realize that you belong to him, that he made a seat for you at the table, when that was the last place you wanted to sit, all of a sudden you begin to realize, I can trust your supreme authority because I belong to you. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. You can belong all day long, but if you don't believe it, you won't live like it. You can belong all day long, but if you do not believe it yourself, 
you will not live like it. What I'm trying to say is this, Jesus can't be something to you you don't believe he actually is. Jesus cannot be something to you you do not believe he is. And you know, the truth is this, is Jesus has always been salvation, but it's not until you believe he's salvation that you can receive salvation. He's always been a healer, but it's not until you believe he's a healer that he can begin to heal the innermost parts of who you are. He's always been your father, but it's not until you believe he's your father that he can begin to welcome you home. Jesus cannot be something to you that you do not believe he actually is. And the truth is this, if if you're struggling with that this morning, I wanna let you know you're not the first one. Jesus has dealt with this kind before. He's dealt with this. In fact, Mark chapter six, we're gonna look at it in a moment, but Mark chapter six tells us that Jesus, he was going around healing a bunch of people. People are hearing about him. His fame is spreading around the countryside and Jesus decides to take the tour on home. Jesus decides to go to his hometown and amongst the people who should have known him best, Jesus walks into his hometown and he starts teaching in the, in the churches there, which are synagogues. He starts teaching in all the synagogues and people start hearing. People, the word starts to spread. And I want you to see what the locals had to say about Jesus when he came home. This is what it says, Mark chapter six, verses three through six. This is what they said. They said, is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And notice this part. And he could do no mighty work there. He could do No mighty work there. Jesus showed up. You have to understand, Jesus shows up on purpose. Jesus, when Jesus shows up, he shows up for business. When Jesus shows up, he shows up because he wants to do something. And Jesus stepped into his own hometown. And because they assumed, they already knew everything about him, he couldn't do what he wanted to do for them. And notice what it says. It doesn't say that he would do no mighty work there. It says he could do no mighty work there. A lot of us think that if we, if we had been Jesus, can we just be real? If we were Jesus and we rolled into our hometown <laughs> and people started kind of giving us a side eye, people were like, who do they think they are? We remember you, you're just a little snot-nosed kid. Now you're growing up, have a beard, you have a ministry, you think you're something. We'd be like, you know what? I wasn't gonna bless you anyway. I didn't wanna heal you anyway. You know, when I finally make it real big, you ain't getting one slice of my pie. That's how we would say. We would think that Jesus, in spite, says, you know what? I will do no mighty miracles among you. (laughs) But it doesn't say he wouldn't. Listen, it says he couldn't. He couldn't. And I want to ask you this morning, maybe the reason you aren't experiencing God like you think you would is because you haven't let him be God. You haven't let him. And you know, I think like we tend to give them such a hard time for this, right? The the, the people in Nazareth, we give them such a hard time. Like seriously, Jesus showed up and you didn't have time for him. Jesus showed up and you couldn't believe who he was. Like seriously? I get, listen to me, I get that Jesus is not our hometown carpenter's son. I get that. 
But Pastor Brandon shared this a while back and it's just resonated with me. It's, it's not been something I've been able to take my mind off of. But Jesus may not be our hometown carpenter son, but I think here in West Texas, especially in the Western hemisphere, this part of the, our neck of the woods, it's real easy for him to become our hometown God's son. He may not be our hometown carpenter son, but he can easily just be relegated to our hometown God's son. Yeah, Jesus, I heard about him. Any, any God's son? And I'm here to tell you today, there is a big difference between him being God's son and your Lord. He's always been God's son, but it's not until he becomes your Lord that all of a sudden you get the benefits of him being God's son. I'm telling you, Jesus can't be something to you. You don't believe he is. What I'm trying to say is who Jesus is to you makes the difference for you. Who Jesus is to you is what makes the difference for you. We see this in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus rolls into another town with his disciples. It's called Caesarea Philippi. And he rolls into this city and he starts asking his disciples this question. He says, hey, um, who, do people, who do people say that I am? Who are people saying I am? And all of a sudden the disciples start to yell out various answers. You know, one disciple yells out, I've heard some people say that you're Elijah. Another disciple says, I've heard some people say you're like John the Baptist. Another disciple says, well, I've even heard Jeremiah. Some of the other disciples start to yell out the prophets that they've heard that Jesus is likened to or they think he is that they assume he is. And then notice this, Jesus begins to narrow in the question. And I wanna, I wanna give you this piece of advice. Anytime Jesus starts asking questions, you need to pay attention because Jesus is the answer. And anytime the answer starts asking the question, you know something crazy is about to go down. So Jesus asks a question and he dials it in. And he says this in Matthew 16, 15, he says this, but what about you? I get that that's who everybody else says I am, but, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? I get that all of them, they, they, they think that, but guess what? They've only seen what I can do with my hands. They only know what I can do with five loaves and two fish. They only know what I can do with some water and wine. You guys have spent three years with me. You've seen my heart. What do you say? Who do you say I am? And I love it. Peter pipes up. <laughs> Peter, loudmouth Peter, the guy who's constantly having to stick his foot in his mouth because he loves the taste of sandal, apparently. Okay, Peter pipes up. And this is what Peter says. He says, I think I know. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're, you're the Lord. You're the son of the living God. And this is what Jesus says to Peter after Peter says who he, said, he, he is. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Notice, Peter got who Jesus was right and left blessed. Can I tell you right now, anytime you get who God you but my father in heaven and he says and I say that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and it will be so huge it will be so grandiose that the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it notice Peter got who Jesus is right and then Jesus was able to tell Peter who he was 
I'm telling you this morning, anytime you get Jesus right, all of a sudden Jesus begins to tell you who you are. But it's not until you know who Jesus is that Jesus tells you who you are. And some of you are like, why does Jesus have to do it that way? Like, why couldn't he tell me who I am? And if he gets it right, I'll believe. Like, that'll be a cool trick. But listen to me. The reason it has to happen this way, that you don't get to know who you are until you know who Jesus is, is because if you haven't already made it up in your mind that Jesus holds supreme authority, you won't care what he has to say about you. Until you've made it up in your mind that, hey, whatever comes out of his mouth is law. Whatever proceeds from his throne is the way it is. His word never returns void. And until you've come to that place on your own, you won't allow his voice to have volume. But man, all of a sudden, when you get who Jesus is right, that volume knob begins to be cranked. And all of a sudden, the truth from heaven can begin to reign through. Yeah, I know Jesus, I can just see Jesus saying, yeah, I know I'm not what you assumed, but guess what, Peter? You're not what you assumed either. You're not just some fisherman. You're not just some guy who can't pay his debts. You're actually going to help me receive everything I've already paid for. That's my children. That's the world. Come on. I love that he says this. He says this, blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah. I love that he throws his dad in there. And I began to wonder, why did, why did he do that? Why did he throw his dad in there? And I think the reason Jesus, is men- Jesus mentions his dad is to let Peter know, I'm not blessing you because I don't know where you come from. I'm not blessing you because I don't know what side of the tracks you came from. I know you and I know your daddy and I know your daddy's daddy and I know your daddy's daddy's daddy. I know that it's just trailer trash, but guess what? I'm getting ready to use the trash of this world to reveal the treasures of heaven. Come on. I'm telling you, when you get who Jesus is right, Jesus then has the right to tell you who you are. You leave blessed. There is a, listen to me, there is a blessing on the other side of no longer living in an assumption, but living in an assurance of who your God is. And right now, this is kind of where I begin to to wind down and begin to close. If I could have somebody come and play behind me quietly, it'll pressure me to close. But you know what, listen, it's easy. It's obvious to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus when he's having a moment like he had with Peter. When you're having this mountaintop experience and Jesus is declaring who you are, when in front of all the people who thought you were a joke, he declares that you're a rock. I think it's kind of obvious to acknowledge his lordship in those moments. I think it's really obvious to acknowledge his lordship when it's in the super high moments, but it's also easy to acknowledge his lordship. It's obvious to acknowledge his lordship in the low moments too. When he's declaring that you're a rock and when life throws you against a rock. Those are the moments we tend to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. But here's what I want to present to you. What about all the other moments? What about all the other times? What about all the other situations? Because listen to me, anytime there are certain situations you acknowledge his lordship and certain situations you don't, guess what? His lordship becomes situational. His lordship becomes situational. Listen to me, Jesus' lordship cannot become situational. You need his lordship when it's obvious and you need his lordship when it's not. When it would be safe to assume, I'm good. I'm good on my own. You know, I wanna read this passage of scripture to you and for some of you, it's gonna be probably familiar. 
For some of you, it very well may not be. It's a familiar passage to me, and not long ago I was reading this. I want to read it to you, and I'm going to share something that, man, the Holy Spirit just wrecked me with. It's Mark chapter 4. We'll start at verse 35. It says this, And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, him being Jesus, just as he was. Oh, I could preach that for a second. Just as he was. They took him just as he was. Not, not how they wished he was. Not how they heard he was. Not how they assumed he was. They took him just as he was. And other boats were with him. Listen to this part. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, being Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. The stern is the back of the boat and Jesus is asleep at the back of the boat. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? You know, not too long ago in my private time, I was, I was reading over this passage of scripture, Jesus calming the storm. And I remember I read it and I kind of went about my day and I was still thinking about it, which is something you need to do. If you read your Bible, begin to think on what you read and ask God questions. So I was sitting there and I was walking around and I was, I was thinking about this passage and all of a sudden I felt Jesus come and start talking to me about it. Now, real quickly, I don't want to spook you out. I didn't have like an audible voice come and talk to me. You have to understand, this was just a quiet conversation that happened on the inside of my heart. But if it had happened out loud, it probably would have sounded something like this. All of a sudden, Jesus, I felt him come up to me. And he said, I was thinking about this story and he's like, you know what their problem was in that moment? in that story? I was like, yeah, I know what their problem was. <laughs> of course I do. It's that they didn't stand up and use their faith, use your authority you gave them to rebuke the winds and the waves themselves. That's their problem. And I felt that Jesus go, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a problem. I'm not talking about that problem. I'm talking about the problem before that. I was like, there was a problem before that? Like, I'm pretty sure that in this story, the problem is the storm. That's the problem. He said, no, their problem started before the storm. I felt him tell me, I don't really mind when my kids run to me in storms. In fact, I kind of like it. I like it when my kids run to me. Now it's awesome to see somebody stand in audacious faith and begin to speak to their storm. But listen to me, I do not mind when my kids run to me in their storm. That's not the problem. The problem was before the storm, while it was still sunny outside, I slipped to the back of the boat and nobody followed me. I slipped to the back of the boat to take a nap and nobody thought maybe we ought to lay down too. I felt the Lord tell me this. He said, had they laid down with me before the storm, they would have slept with me through the storm. Whew, man, but they didn't because they assumed they already knew how this trip was gonna go. 
And all of a sudden, man, I felt the presence of God as I was just thinking about this story. And all of a sudden, I realized how many storms I have gotten myself in. Because before the storm showed up, when it was still sunny and the seas were calm and everything felt great, I took my eyes off of Jesus. I allowed Jesus to kind of drift off and, hey, I'm gonna go over here and be like, yeah, Jesus, we got it from here. We can handle it. Yeah, you take a nap, we'll take care of the boat. Now I'm telling you this morning, when Jesus's lordship becomes situational, your peace becomes situational. Your joy becomes situational. Your freedom becomes situational. But if you will ever get to the point where his lordship isn't situational, but it is supreme, I'm telling you, when all of a sudden he says it's time to lay down and take a nap, even though to your natural eye, it doesn't make any sense to lay down and take a nap right now. The sun is out, the seas are calm, it's a great day, but he knows what I don't. I'm not gonna live off the assumption. I'm gonna live off the assurance that his thoughts, they are higher than my thoughts. And if he's leading me to take a nap, that is where my best life is found. I wonder if for some of you this morning, the reason you are in the storm you're in is because you took your eyes off Jesus before the storm showed up. You stopped saying yes in the sunshine. So you got caught in a storm. You know, I think this is exactly what Galatians 5.16 speaks to. We'll jump back into Galatians. Galatians 5.16 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I say, walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Then I gotta say yes to Jesus, but I also gotta keep saying no to the enemy. No, it says, if you'll walk by the Spirit, if you'll focus on the Spirit, you won't have to say no to the enemy because a yes to Jesus is a no to the enemy. My yes to Jesus is a no to everything he is not. My yes to sleeping in the sunshine is a no to the storm. And I feel that there are some of you, you've had to go around rebuking storm after storm after storm. And I feel the Spirit saying, stop saying no and start saying yes to me. You wouldn't have to say no so much if you started saying yes to me because a yes to Jesus is a no to the enemy. Whoo, come on. The enemy doesn't need to be rebuked. You know the three best words to use to rebuke the devil? They're thank you, Jesus. My praise of him is a rebuke to the enemy. My adoration of him is is putting the enemy in his place. Maybe the reason you're in the storm you're in is because before the storm, You thought you had it covered. You assumed you knew how it was gonna go. And listen to me, that is the the most insidious, insidious assassination attempt of them all. It's to get you to believe you you already know how today's gonna go. You don't need, it's just a, it's a run, it's a mundane Monday. It's a run of the mill Thursday. You already know this is gonna go. That is the most insidious assassination attempt of them all. You know, here's the good news. It's maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Keenan, you were freaking reading my mail. I am in the middle of a storm. I am caught in the middle of a storm right now and it's because I took my eyes off Jesus. I have good news for you, my friend. Just because you ignored Jesus before the storm doesn't mean he'll ignore you in the storm. Just because you ignored him before the storm 
doesn't mean he's gonna ignore you in the storm. My Bible says that in the middle of that storm, Jesus got up off his cushion and he stepped into that boat that was about to go down and he looked at the winds and the waves that the disciples could do nothing about and he used his authority to begin to rebuke what they could not rebuke. I don't know if you realize it, but this story is the gospel that Jesus got up off a cushion and stepped into a storm. My Bible says that Jesus vacated the cushion of heaven so that he could step into our storm here on earth because we were going down. Do you not care that we are perishing? I'm telling you, just because you ignored him before the storm doesn't mean he'll ignore you in the storm, even if you didn't follow him, even if you zigged when he told you to zag, even when you said no when he told you to say yes, it will not keep him from stepping into your storm and rebuking what you can't rebuke. He's still Lord even when you forget it. Woo! This is the truth. This is the stuff that is, this is the reason I'm alive. This is the reason I care. This is the reason I'm even in ministry is because when I didn't care about Jesus, he still cared about me. When I ignored Jesus, he didn't ignore me. And if you're in a storm today, I want you to know it's, no, don't, don't let condemnation eat your lunch. Just because you ignored him doesn't mean he's gonna turn around and ignore you. And right now, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you'd say, Kenan, you're talking to me. You're reading my mail this morning. And you'd say, Kenan, I'm, I'm that one that's in the storm. I assumed all was good. I took my eyes off Jesus when everything was cool, when everything was hunky-dory, when everything was easy. And now I'm in a storm. And I need Jesus to step off his cushion and into my storm this morning. If you'd say that that's you, when I count to three, if you'd just like to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, that you'd like to acknowledge his supreme authority and the fact that you already belong to him. If you'd like to say yes to the father who longs to welcome you home, if you'd like him to step into your storm this morning, I'd just like you to respond with a hand of faith. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Three, if that's you, come on, shoot your hand up right now. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Hands going up literally all over this auditorium. Leave it up, leave it up high and I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you right now for every hand that's raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart that has just said yes to you. And Lord, I thank you that that yes to you is a no to the enemy. That yes to your plan is a no to the enemy's plan. And Lord, I thank you that right now your grace would come in like a flood and it would wash away every ounce of condemnation. It would wash away every ounce of shame. It would wash away every every bit of baggage. And Lord, I thank you that they can stand secure not because of anything they've done, but because of everything you already have done. I thank you for it right now, that they belong to you, that you and your supreme authority looked at them when they were nothing and said, I'm gonna give you everything. I thank you for it right now. I call them saved. I call them secure. I call them heaven ready. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, let's give them some praise this morning. Come on. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.